You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Housing for the Aged Action Group, Haig for short, a housing group for older people run by old people. Present Raise the Roof! We advocate for secure, affordable and appropriate housing. So listen up on the second and fourth Wednesday of the month at 5.30pm on 3CR 855 on your AM dial. Uh, That's right, you're listening to Raise the Roof, the Housing for the Aged Action Group show here on 3CR 855 AM. Uh, My name is Shane. I'm here with Fiona and Leonie from HAG. How are you both doing? I'm really good. How are you? Oh, all right. Limping to the finish line of this this turkey of a year. The the turkey of a year with really cheap crayfish. Oh, tell us. <laughs> Listeners, apparently you can get some cheap crayfish if you're looking out for a Christmas bargain. Footscray Market, and unbelievable. Um, uh, anyway, we're going to talk briefly about the year in how older people's housing news. Um, we also are going to talk to Leonie about a project that she's been working on. Um, should we, like, should we hear the, should we talk to Leonie first and then we'll come back? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So here we go. So we're joined today by Leonie Bessant, who is one of our workers here at HAG. And this is um, almost the last week of you working with us now that we're coming up to Christmas. Hey, Leonie. Yeah, so it's um, the end of two years of uh, coordinating NASH. And, um, and I was actually at HAG for 18 months before that doing placements, part of my community psychology master's. That's yeah, right. So it's, it's, it's been actually three and a half years. Wow, that's amazing. So tell us a little bit about, um, the reason we wanted to have you on today is because of the National Alliance for Seniors, no. Housing, National Alliance of Seniors for Housing. That's the one. Um, Just put out a book at our AGM about a month ago. Um, So could you firstly tell us a little bit about what NASH is and then maybe we'll ask you a little bit about the book that was just put out. Well, NASH was... um part of the Ageing on the Edge project, which was a large national project that uh, HAG ran for just finishing now. It was a five-year project and I came in in the last two years to run the lived experience group, which was really uh, to inform the larger project. It was incredibly important to get not just um, qualitative statistics about homelessness and housing stress, but also to get um, quantitative, sorry. It's also really important to get the qualitative research as well. So that was really what um, NASH was about. But the other thing about NASH, which has been very important, is it's really been member-driven. So I'm really just, um, I suppose, I would see it in a sort of really community psychology sense, really there to um, empower the members who are all almost, not all, but almost all of them are seniors with experience of housing distress or homelessness. And I'm there to really facilitate what they want. So it's really bottom and so we've got people from every state, not, almost, haven't we? Not every state, but almost every state, yes. And they're and it, main, mainly older women who are either currently experiencing housing stress or have in the past, 
um, and they meet together monthly. And during the last two and a half or something years, you've been interviewing them or they've been telling their stories. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about how the storytelling has come about? Yeah, so there's been different processes. Um, some of the stories are, I've interviewed people and so I then write up a, a story based on an, on an interview and then we go through it. It's very important, the sort of reiteration between me and the storyteller until they get, they're really happy with it. Um, mostly these stories are all uh, using pseudonyms and sometimes we even change dates, places altogether um, so that they're really de-identified. So it's really important that the storytellers are feeling safe and in control, really, really important. And then, um, but then some of the stories people write themselves and then we, we sort of edit them together. Uh, other people, uh, so people in the Nash organising community have been also collected stories. So some of them I have only really seen once, uh, you know, they, they get to me in a written form already. But again, it's the same process of consent and um, getting that back to the people to make sure they're all good with it. Yeah, so, so it's been... Um, uh, it's really, uh, really, for me, it's really intense but very rewarding process of collecting all those stories. And, and it's also really for the people telling the stories. It can be very cathartic and really powerful for them because I would say for the vast majority of these people telling stories, it's the first time they've ever shared their story with anyone. Wow. You know, and some really quite confronting things for themselves and for the reader. Um, but... And for other people, other people who've been sharing their stories, they've told their stories over and over and it would become almost like, uh, you know, you know go-to people for stories and that, that's got its own pressures as well, um, yeah. you know, that they don't become defined by their stories because they're telling them so often. So there's, all, there's sort of many things to consider in terms of um, the well-being of the people sharing those stories and they're all, you know, they're all incredibly um, brave and um, I just think they real, you know, because because they came out and told their yeah. stories to you, and then we and then we so we published them um, in the monthly in the three in the quarterly newsletter. Actually, it was a monthly newsletter yeah. to start with, wasn't it? And then it came... uh, no, no, it was a it was a sort of a bi-monthly newsletter, I think, to start with at the beginning of my two years, and yeah. um, then because uh, we had so much content at the beginning and. And well, I only work, you know, one day a week, so it's only so much I can do as well. So we sort of it morphed into slightly longer intervals. And so that, yes, the stories were the backbone of the newsletter. And then um, then we amalgamated them. Well, we, well, it's a selection of stories were put into the uh, this booklet and they were all re-edited and, re and consent was um, sought again from people for some of the changes, some people wanted up. Some people updated their stories, and there's some there's some new stories in there as well. Yeah. And have there been any themes coming across? Can there is there similarities or differences across people's experiences that um, that you've noticed in in collecting them? Yeah, there's a remarkable considering you know people are thousands of miles apart. You know some of the themes are just almost the stories are almost identical. Um, particularly uh, story. Well, we. We've really ended up with overwhelming the stories, the stories being about women's stories because they've been the ones who are sharing. We, we did have some couple of great stories from blokes, but it's overwhelmingly women's stories and overwhelmingly women who have not been um, 
haven't had experienced lifelong housing stress, they're more, these are issues as, as they've retired or become too unwell to work. And so we've had a lot of stories about that um, when people can't, you know, that gulp, the gap between can't not working anymore and the pension age, that there's an enormous amount of hardship in that age group of women who are on Centrelink and basically can't afford to rent anywhere in Australia. So there's a lot of women with that story. Mm. Um, it's also very common stories about women struggling in, um, in public housing, unfortunately, you know, with, with um, poor management of properties in terms of um, the behaviours of, uh, well, let's, let's be frank, the behaviours of men, are the men on the, in public housing who are, uh, uh, antisocial behaviours, which is really stressing out women, older women who have all, all, of, all of whom have got experiences of um, trauma in some way or other related to men in their, in their former lives. Uh, that, was a, that was a theme. But, I mean, the overwhelming theme really for all of them was the inadequacy, the inadequacy of choices in, in housing and the, and the complete lack of yeah. and the unaffordability. Um, yeah. I mean, that, but there's some very interesting regional differences. Like I did a little bit of research up in the Northern Rivers, which is that area uh, on the Queensland-New South Wales border, and there's some very interesting themes in there which are common to, say, Tasmania, the Northern Rivers, and any other area which was formerly an area of uh, lower socioeconomic rental uh, availability that is now heavily tourist. So it's a real disaster, a real train smash. That's very particular to certain areas. Yeah, I know. I noticed that um, that there was the impact of the Airbnb explosion in some of those areas had had a real impact on some of the older women that you spoke to who no longer could find places, appropriate places to live where they wanted to live because there just wasn't the rental availability anymore. No, and even stressing people who were employed. So it's really, um, this is where you're getting lots of women sleeping in cars, uh, couch surfing. Um, yeah. Yeah, and this whole phenomena of the studio, the illegal studio apartment in a lot of dwellings in the warmer climates of Australia in the north, yeah. Yeah, right. So sort of bungalows out the back kind of thing. Well, they, they, they tend to be under houses, more Queensland. Oh, yeah. yeah. And they have this euphemism studio, which sounds good, but they're often really substandard slums under houses for large, large amounts of money. Wow. <laughs> and people can't claim rent um, assistance because the landlords won't. They'll just say, move along, I'll get someone who's not, who doesn't want to claim, you know. And you had a couple of stories about the impact of COVID as well. Um, in yeah. the newsletter, yeah. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, there's, I suppose these are themes with everybody, really, the, you know, loneliness and isolation. Um, and everybody, particularly in the areas with a lot of tourism, felt that COVID would, could be a bit of a breather for uh, rental pressures and availability, but it's had, it's had a complete reverse effect. And this is across Australia because I know it's happening down in the Mornington Peninsula as well, which is not associated with you know, people wanting to rent cheaply down there, but it's the same phenomena. Whereas because of internal tourism has gone through the roof mm. and people in cities who are uh, able financially to, I mean, people are literally turning around and saying, I'm going to buy a house outside of the city. And people are buying houses sight unseen, um, either to leave cities or to have an, a holiday house. Yeah. And this is happening 
in, in, in East Gippsland, in the Mornington Peninsula, all through the Byron area, the Northern Rivers area. And so people are now even saying that the, there's more pressure now. There's less rental on the full-time rental market than there was before. And rents of rents and property price, it's like a little mini rent uh, boom in those areas. Mm. Mm. So this book is available on our website for download um, and we can also print copies and post them to people that might request them. Um, I think it's really important that you've managed to put a human face to some of the statistics that we see. So we know that this group of women aged between say 55 and 64 um, who are pre-retirement pension age, but 67. may not have 67. 67 is the pension age now, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, our statistics catch to 64, which is a, another gap, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we, we see lots of those women coming to us and in states where there's no service like ours, um, we weren't, we didn't, we weren't really aware of the circumstances until you started talking to these women and, and capturing these stories. Um, so before we wrap up, is there anything that you'd like listeners to know about the book or, or Nash or the stories or anything else that you'd like to say? Um, just that there, it's really worth uh, downloading. It's under publications in the menu. It, it, they're really great stories. They're yeah. really engaging. I mean, I, I think I said when we, we were introducing is at the general meeting that I, rereading some of those stories and, and you know, I, I, I know these stories intimately. They made me cry again. I mean, they, I don't want to make everybody cry, but they really are powerful and great snapshots of people's lives across Australia. They're really, yeah. really, really powerful. And, and it, it's a test to like do justice to the women and the, and the men sharing these stories by reading them. Yeah. That's what and I just, the, just the life circumstances that can change so quickly. Uh, that yeah. was what was striking to me when I was reading through them. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it, it's so close to everybody, basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming in today and thank you for all your work at HAG over the last three and a half years. I'm hoping that you'll stay in touch with us. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> and, and still be involved with HAG, maybe as a member. Yeah, I'd love to do that. That'd be awesome. Yes. Um, so, yeah, for people that want to check out the book, we'll put the link in our show notes, but it's oldertenants.org.au and you look for publications and then you'll find the book. Um, and the title of the book is... Oh... Is it No Place Like Home? Uh, no. Um, hang on, I've got it right here because we changed it at the last minute, so it's not on the, top, not on the top of my head. Here we go. It's Seniors for Housing Stories from Older People Experience Homelessness and Housing Stress. That's the one. It's got a little picture of a house on the front. Yeah, yeah it looks great, actually. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, thanks again, Leonie. Um, yeah. Have a great end of year break, um, and we'll see you in 2021. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Bye. Thank you. See you. Bye. City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City, City Limits. limits. G'day, my name is Margie Thorpe. You are listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 on your dial.
Great. So that was um, Leonie and she is, um, she is now leaving us, but she's going to stay on for her last show at, um, on Raise the Roof. So um, Shane, can you give us your, what's your top three highlights of the year 2020, do you reckon? Just I'm nothing I can talk about on the radio, to be honest. The um, No, no, but you are, sorry, we should just announce that you are still listening to 3CR, 8.55am. Um, like in terms of older people's housing, obviously the fallout from COVID is the, the biggest story for the year. Um, you know, we probably don't, well, we definitely don't have enough time to really go into that. But, you know, if you could kind of break that down into dot points, um, we'd be looking at the, the effect of lockdowns on older people, um, you know, all Victorians, but, but certainly uh, older people in particular, um, as one of the cohorts that was most vulnerable to the, the virus. Um, the Victorian government's responses to the pandemic, uh, what would you say, a, a mixed bag, I guess, from our point of view. Um, the emergency rental laws passed by the government in response to the pandemic um, certainly introduced some important protections for renters, but definitely didn't go as far as we would have liked them to. And in a, in a lot of respects, we're, we're pretty inadequate, we would say. Um, we share the concerns of a lot of tenant advocate organisations that many tenants, uh, including older people, were effectively coerced by their real estate agents into agreeing to rent deferrals mm. um, rather than rent reductions, which is what the government purportedly wanted, but refused to legislate effectively in favour of. Uh, and what that might mean come March or so when these emergency rental laws lapse and, you know, people are left with very substantial amounts of debts and, and no obvious means to pay them. Um, the other big aspect of the Victorian government's, you know, sort of housing focused response to COVID that we've got to mention is the extraordinary hard lockdowns of public housing towers, um, especially around Flemington and Kensington. Um, just last week, the it was last week, wasn't it? Yeah. Things move so fast these days. Yeah. Um, the ombudsman handed down her report, uh, finding that the timing of the lockdown of North Melbourne and Flemington public housing towers in July was not based on direct health advice and violated Victorian human rights laws. Uh, she called on the Premier to apologise and the Victorian government essentially said, up yours, uh, we will not be apologised. We won't apologise for anything. Uh, Actually, I, I paraphrase. No, apparently Dan Andrews did apologise, but Richard Wynne didn't, is what I heard. Okay, I, I well, I apologise then. Sorry, Daniel Andrews, your supporters will be all over me if I don't back down on that one. I thought he just apologised for the um the, ho the hotel thing. Oh, maybe. Well, all right. you probably know more about it than us, I would say. <laughs> well, either way, it was just a, a, a plainly, uh, disgustingly handled process. The stories in the Ombudsman's report, you know, we talked a bit about the stories of residents earlier. Um, there are some really shocking stories about the way that people were treated and the way that DHHS sometimes focused, you know, at a high level, sometimes thought about it more as a matter of optics than as a matter of how they were actually treating people. You know, not, not worried that they were caging people in with fences, just worrying that they'd put the fence in a spot that looked bad on TV cameras. Um, yeah. So, I think, I think particularly for some older people, some of our clients that our, we had a show earlier in the year from um, that interviewed our housing support workers and lots of their clients were from non-English speaking backgrounds and just the lack of communication was the real issue. Just really, um, I mean, apart, apart from being locked up in your house, which is terrible enough, but just not having any idea what's going on. And that's something that really I'm hoping that they learn from because 
It's not that hard. We manage it all the time to get interpreters and get translated materials. Um, well, so they should I mean, the, the real story coming out of this pandemic in so many areas is the, the disconnect between the way that wealthy white people have been treated mm. when they come down with the pandemic or when they breach related laws and the way uh, migrant workers in particular are treated when they are perceived to be breaching uh, COVID laws. Um, yeah. And, you know, the, the stereotypes about public housing residents fed into that. And that's, you know, the reason why we saw these hard lockdowns in only one place, uh, impossible to imagine in, you know, wealthier suburbs, wider suburbs, uh, you know, any kinds of private housing. Um, do you want to talk about the social housing spend? That should probably be part of our wrap up of the year. Yeah. So about, was it three weeks ago now, um, there was an announcement of an, uh, what's been labelled an unprecedented spend on social housing by the state government. Um, and obviously the homelessness and housing sectors and the welfare sector more generally has been calling this for a long, long time. However, when we had a look at the detail about this, it really does look like it's a continuation of the transfer of responsibility from the government to provide housing through public housing into not-for-profit community housing providers and the private sector. Um, and so obviously we've got some big concerns about that. And we'll, I guess we'll wait and see what happens, um, but it looks like a lot of the housing will be mixed developments. So public land with private housing on it and public land being handed over to community housing providers. Um, we released a report, you mentioned earlier, Shane, about uh, comparing the experiences of public housing tenants versus community housing tenants. And we had Claire on a couple of weeks ago to talk about that research. She has some really great recommendations about how to improve the management of community housing so it better aligns with the rights of public housing tenants, particularly around things like um, modifications for health needs, like air conditioners for people with MS and things like that. Um, we had a response from uh, the Community Housing Industry Association to that report and it looks like we are making some progress there, um, which we're hoping will mean that there'll be better outcomes for our clients who are living in community housing and also better ways to get into that community housing. So the, the system isn't so um, strangely opaque as it has been. Um, and also things like group interviews apparently will not be happening anymore, which is a good thing. Yeah, there's been a fair bit of discussion about that social housing spend on the last couple of um, City Limits shows that HAG's part of. Uh, the Housing Week, I think, is the third or fourth Wednesday of the month. You can listen to those podcasts if you'd like some more information. Um, yeah. Just while we're doing this wrap-up, and I'm, I'm aware that we're probably pretty pressed for time, I just wanted to touch on some of the longer-term um, legal reform stuff that HAG um, typically looks at. So, listeners probably maybe are aware um, there was a big raft of uh, residential tenancies reforms that passed the Victorian government, parliament, sorry, uh, a, a year or two ago that were supposed to come into effect in the middle of this year. Um, those reforms have been delayed. They got pushed back by the COVID emergency laws and currently scheduled to come in uh, late March, this late March next year. Um, so th those reforms... Um, you know, still eager to, to see how they play out um, once tenants have those rights in place. Um, the regulations that will support those reforms, I think we still don't have um, a, a draft or a, a version of those that's available for public comment. 
Um, I think there was a regulatory impact statement about those earlier with a, a, an early draft. So it's going to be really important for us to watch in 2021 what those reforms, what those regulations look like, which will cover a lot of important details like what are the minimum standards for a rental property? What modifications can you make to your property without the landlord's permission? What modifications, you know, can the landlord just arbitrarily refuse? Um, what evidence does the landlord need to evict you? So a lot of really key questions in, in that material that is still to come. The other big uh, legislative reform item that, that it also got delayed, I guess, due to COVID, uh, understandably, to, you know, understandably that the government was busy with other things, but not necessarily this should have been deprioritized, is the Retirement Villages Act review. Um, so HAG and many other organizations made submissions to that review. I do not even remember off the top of my head when that was. I, I believe 2019, but who could really say at this point? Maybe it was last week. The, um, the review is ongoing. It's, it's puttering along somewhere in the background and we do expect to see um, some options available for comment by the government uh, fairly early in the new year, I guess. And that will be something that we wanna look at as well. Um, the Retirement Villages Act, sorry, I was about to go into my spiel about the Retirement Villages Act, but we probably don't really have time for that. We've got time. We want rights for residents, basically. This is our short version. The, um, the Residential Tenancies Act has its, its failings for sure, but it does present a, a kind of framework of rights and obligations that both parties have. You know, if you're a tenant, you can expect things to be repaired. You can expect to have quiet enjoyment of your property, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. If you're a resident of a retirement village, what are your rights? Well, maybe there's something in your contract, maybe. Um, so that's really what we want to see, a robust framework for tenant, for resident rights in retirement villages, um, including protections against the extremely exploitative business practices that we've seen, you know, across uh, current affairs media over the last couple of years. Yeah. And it's a really important issue for lots of our members who live in retirement villages. Um, and this has been something that they've been working on since well, 2016, I think it was, when the parliamentary inquiry into retirement housing was first happening and a whole bunch of our members made submissions and made um, actually gave evidence in front of the parliamentary inquiry about what it's like for them living in retirement villages. Now, finally, years and years later, they're getting to reviewing the Act, um, which we're hoping is going to have some good outcomes. But at this stage, it's really hard to tell. Um, so if you want to get involved in that, if you do live in a retirement village and you are concerned about your rights and how things are run in your village, Feel free to get in touch with HAG. Um, and Fiona, are you going to give out the phone number? No, Shane. I don't know what the phone number is. As you know, we'll give out the phone number shortly. Or else you can check our website um, if you have the internet and look up for RAG, Retirement Accommodation Action Group, formerly um, ILU Carpev. Yeah, so maybe I'll give out the phone number then. Yeah. Uh, I just believe one day you're going to remember it. It's 1300 765 178. Um, or the website, Fiona mentioned, oldertenants.org.au. You can also find us on Facebook or Twitter. Um, that number again, 1300 765 Shane, I'm sure you're the sort of person who remembers their first phone number when they were a little boy. <laughs> oh, I do. <laughs> Did it have a nine or an eight in front of it? Uh, like sometime during my childhood or adolescence, it, it developed the nine at the start. 
Um, I don't know any phone numbers for anyone in my life. Like there is no person I know that I could call by, by memory, but I could call my childhood home if it still had the same phone number. <laughs> and you could call Hag. Yes. Oh. If I'm ever arrested, I'll be calling Hag because there's no one else that I could possibly call. Well, let's hope it's not after hours then. Let's hope. That's all not let's hope you don't get arrested. Let's hope it's not after hours. Thanks for that vote of confidence. <laughs> yeah. That's it, I think. That's all we got time for. So are we going to play Santa Baby to exit the year? Oh, my God. Yes, okay, I'll find you. Ah! Yeah. Which Sorry, version, listeners. Which version do you want? Ariana. Okay, I'll try and find it. Try and find it. It's not a secret. <laughs> it's not hidden. Um, thanks very much, everyone, for listening. It's been a pleasure to bring you older persons' housing activism news uh, on this show all through the year. Um, we look forward to doing it all again next year. Leone, sorry to see you leave us, um, but hopefully you'll stick around in some Yes, you'll still see me around. Yep. Yay. All right, we'll have a good end of year, everyone, and we'll see you in 2021. Bye. See ya. Bye. Bye. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. Santa baby, just slip a sable under